Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Muller, episode number 73, Get Your Message Heard with Dr. Michael Hudson of michaelhudson.com. My fundamental belief that I have come to discover over time through the journey I've traveled is that all of us have lessons from the journey that we've traveled that reveal things to us that only we know in the way we know them that open the door for us to help other people in a different way. Hey, this is Joel Kamm, author of The Fun Formula, all about revolutionizing your life with fun. Dr. Brad's here for you to find your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose right here on the Pathway to Promise podcast. You're on the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes every person has a God-given promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and that you must have a plan and a guide to get there. The Pathway to Promise podcast not only is your guide through the wilderness of depression and disappointment that stand between you and your promised life, but also brings you insights and direction from inspiring, successful thought leaders who have transformed their lives. Welcome to the Pathway to Promise. Now, here's Brad. Hello again, good people, and welcome to the Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. I just want to tell you, it is an incredible honor and a privilege for you to allow me to come into your uh, into your ears today and to share some things which I think are important to your life and certainly to mine as we talk about things that matter, such as how to overcome adversity in your life, how to overcome those things that can be debilitating your life in order to deal with them, in order to have success in your life. I believe you can't have true success in your life unless you deal with the things that are blocks for us. And those include adversities like death and divorce and depression and, and uh, debt and disease and, and other things that overcut that, that we deal with. And we do that by teaching lessons along these lines. I have a, a 40 years of ministry experience and a doctoral degree in transformational leadership. And by talking to people who have overcome adversity in their lives to achieve what I like to call your promised life, a peace, prosperity, and purpose. One such person is today, Michael Hudson from michaelhudson.com, has a great message to share with us here today, and we have a great conversation with him in a minute about how to get your message heard in order to process the things you need to process in order to impact the lives of other people. We'll get into our conversation with Michael here in just a minute. I did want you to know here on the Pathway to Promise, we're here to be helpful to you. You can always go to our back catalog of past episodes at our website, pathwaypromise.com. There you can find lots of great insights from people uh, that it can be helpful to speak into your life and be helpful to help you find your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We also have a free gift for you there. It's called the Four-Minute Way, to, your four-minute guide to successful living. And you can pick that up there as a free gift for you as well. We're glad to have you uh, with us here today. And please, if you care to, uh, always subscribe and and give us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher and other places like that. We certainly do appreciate it, and we want to be helpful to you. Today, our guest, Michael Hudson from michaelhudson.com. He is a educator, or a former educator in the higher institutions of higher institution, like the University of Illinois and Cornell University, where he was a uh, professor of economics. But he transitioned a number of years ago after processing some things in his childhood and some other things where he learned that his true gifts and calling was about communication and helping people clarify their message in order to get their message heard, in order to be transformative into the world. So he is all about 
the understanding to believe that anything is possible if you clarify and craft a clear vision about the destination about you want to go to. And you can commit, if you create that vision or create that communi- communication, uh, that compelling message, and if you commit to communicating it uh, to those who need to hear that message, then great impact's going to happen in your life. I had a great conversation with Michael about lots of things. We talked about things in his childhood and about his academic career and about some of the ups and downs of his professional career. But we talked about how he processed things in his life in such a way to gain clarity of his message, which is now impactful to others, and how his process can be helpful to you to process anything that's adverse in your life in order to achieve your message to, clear, to communicate that with other people. You're going to love this conversation with Michael Hudson. Let's get into our conversation with Michael Hudson from michaelhudson.com right now. Dr. Brad Miller back with you with the Pathway to Promise podcast where we're all about helping you overcome adversity to achieve your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We do that by talking to some great people who have Great stories to tell about overcoming adversity themselves, as well as helping you to gain insight and, uh, and and influence into your life and helping you to overcome adversity. Today, we have Dr. Michael Hudson with us, who has transitioned in his life through various through the academic world into a life now where he's helping people to drive to clarify their vision in their businesses and their life to drive impact in order to have success in their life. And he does that by really focusing in on their communication and getting their message heard. He is online at, uh, at Michael, michaelhudson.com, and he is our guest today on Pathway to Promise. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here and a privilege. Absolutely. Well, I've been a fan of yours for quite some time on your podcast and some of your some of your uh, work that you've done, and uh, I love your story, and I love how you focus in on communication and, and helping clarify messaging. But I got a feeling that you've had some experiences in, in your life that have been transformational and transitional for you to help move you through various uh, pivot points in your life. I'd just like to hear a little bit of your story. What are some of the points in your life that have been important to you? Brad, I love the question, and by the way, I, you know, I love the work you're doing here because my fundamental belief that I have come to discover over time through the journey I've traveled is that all of us have lessons from the journey that we've traveled that reveal things to us that only we know in the way we know them that open the door for us to help other people in a different way. And, you know, my big pivot in my first pivot out of academia was after a decade had the privilege of building nationally recognized programs at the University of Illinois. Then I went to Cornell, had the privilege of doing the same thing. And then I realized the bureaucracy wasn't fulfilling me. And there was always this underlying thing. And right around the time I made the decision to leave Cornell, that underlying thing reemerged. Now, I have since learned there is a category to define those kinds of underlying things, which is called adverse childhood experiences. And for me, and you know, we're, we're diving in real deep here, real fast, Brad. Absolutely, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. You, Let's do it. I want you and the audience to know I'm okay. I'm past this, and thank God I am past it. Sure. But I was raped and molested for a year when I was ten. Okay. Now, my way of understanding the world is verbal processing. I talk through things. 
Well, that silenced me because the person who did this to me threatened to kill me if I ever told anyone. So I never told anyone. And I went silent. Um, I didn't stop talking in class <laughs> and getting in trouble because I was trying to get attention and trying to get affirmation and all those things we do when we've been harmed. And I completely blocked that experience out. Now, all I wanted to do, Brad, was kind of be up in front of the room and on the stage, but I couldn't do it. You know, if a day came and it was show and tell tomorrow, I would wake up the next morning and convince my mother I was sick so I didn't have to go to school. And at the same time, I would envy the people who could do that because I really wanted to do it. And the interesting thing is my father was a state policeman who was a youth officer at the time who developed the first drug education program in the state of Delaware, drug abuse education, before D.A.R.E. existed and that, that whole thing came around. Okay. And I would go watch him speak and I would think, I want to do that. Um, and right around the time this all happened, I saw a speaker come into our school. And I watched this man stand there on the stage. His name was John Jimenez. And any of your audience members who live in the mid-Atlantic area probably heard him if they were in school in the 60s. And he was a recovering drug addict um, who actually started a very successful church in um, Virginia Beach. Okay. And when I watched him tell these stories, I thought that's so powerful. And Brad, that became my resurrection, so to speak, in the short term. It was my journey. It was where I went to, to story. So I lived in the country. We had this little thing called the Bookmobile, which oh, yes. was a Winnebago, you know, that, that had right. books on it. Mm -hmm. Came around to the corner from down a um, tenth of a mile from my house every two weeks. A uh, kid was allowed to get six books. I convinced my mother that I needed more because I would devour them because that was where I retreated into story. So all of that is a, a backstory to let you know why story matters, why message matters so much to me. When I was 30. Three thirty-four. I started experiencing some depression issues, and when I decided I need to get help with this, all of a sudden, one day, all the memories of what happened to me came back. And truth be told, Brad, I was in my PhD program before I actually got comfortable speaking in front of a room. Yeah, so this, was, one, this was an ongoing process, really, through your growing up years into your adult life. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I was fine in small groups. You know, I was fine one-on-one. -on -one. I was fine in small groups, but you. You know, if I stepped to the front of the room, I just couldn't do it. Um, but, but when you go into a class with 250 freshmen and your job is to teach them economics and it's your, your day that you have to overcome, you overcome. And I overcame by doing one thing, leveraging story. I, I've got to tell this story this way, Brad, because it, it's, it's absolute truth. It's the way it happened. But I left my office the day that I finally had to go put myself in a room on a stage in front of 250 freshmen. I stopped at three buildings between my office and the building where the classroom was and threw up in every men's room oh, I could find. <laughs> left your mark, left your trail, I guess. Huh? Oh, my goodness. Wow. And, 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 and you know, I've got my oh, – this is in the overhead transparency day, right? I've got the acetates. I've got everything. You know, I, I'm oh, ready. Oh, boy. But <laughs> I get to the last building, and I'm in, I walk in the men's room for one last – am I okay before I go in the, in the, in the uh, auditorium? I walk out of the, audit, the men's room. There's nothing left inside of me. Of course. <laughs> and I realize I've got to walk into the same door as those students are walking in. You know, it's about 25 feet away, but it seems like it's 100 yards. I make the, I get across there. And the whole way I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And literally, all of a sudden, I saw John Jimenez's face in my mind. Okay. And I saw him telling these powerful and vulnerable stories. And I realized 
and, and I started hearing this refrain. It, I mean, whether it was God's voice or whose voice, I, I started hearing this refrain of just tell them a story and teach them a lesson. Tell them a story and teach them a lesson. The whole way as I'm walking. You know, and this is this is in the early 80s. You know, they don't have cell phones. Right. They're wondering who this dude is walking in the room that they've never seen before because I'm not the professor that's regularly there. He's out of town for two weeks, and now it's my shot to go in and do this. Okay. So as I'm thinking, I'm, okay, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. I'm teaching freshman economics. We're talking about supply curves. What am I going to – what story? <laughs> Who's yeah. going to care? Right. And as I stepped on the stage, I remembered – when I was in graduate school, there was a time when I did the supply and demand curves backwards on a final exam. And the professor called me to his office after class and he said, um, we need to talk. He says, uh, I want you to look at this. He showed me my exam. He said, is there anything wrong with that? I said, yeah, the curves are all backwards. He said, yeah. He said, but I'm going to let you go with it for one reason. He said, your logic is perfect. You've thought through it economically exactly right. You just drew the graphs backwards. Hmm. Okay. And he said, you haven't ever done it before. And he said, I'm pretty sure after this, you're never going to do it again. Right. <laughs> so long story short, I told them that story. And I said, and here's the good news about being here today. I'm going to show you how to do it so you never forget how to draw them correctly. Hey, well, and that's and what a wonderful and, and effective teaching method, telling stories, whether it's economics or uh, messaging or communication, yeah. whatever it is. The story, and, telling and, the story and, is so powerful became the go-to thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I literally, at that moment, I felt myself, if, it, it sounds grandiose, but I felt myself transform on the stage. It's like, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can finally do what I've been wanting to do my whole life, now that which is a big why I left academia later. <laughs> now, did all that being on stage and helping, you know, even the, the vomiting, the whole bit, that process, did it help you leave behind some of that childhood trauma or whatever trauma was leaving up? Or is that was that part of the whole process of healing and wholeness for you? Brad, it opened the door. Okay. Um, and the truth is that journey took another 25 years. Sure. And but it opened the door to make I mean, I just I did not remember this at all. I literally was in a situation where I, I had gone to a therapist for 13 weeks and every week he asked more questions and I told him more. And the 14th week I walked in and I said, you know what? You're not asking the questions today. I need to know something because this isn't getting any better. And I've told sure. you everything about myself. Mm -hmm. And he said, are you sure? Hmm. I said, absolutely. I said, I said, why do you ask? He said, because everything speaks to your having had some sort of a trauma or abuse and you've never described anything like that. And it is as if he turned on a switch in my brain and I immediately saw, I, I'll call it a video in my brain, okay. of the worst time that it happened. Sure. And I sat there on that couch and cried for three hours. Yeah. Um, he was fortunate that he had another room that he could go into his, with his other patient because he right. kept through. Right. And and that unlocked it and it didn't solve it and resolve it. And I didn't allow it to for a long time. I kept hiding. I kept putting on the mask and the suit every day and doing the work that I was being paid to do. You know, I, you know, that all happened about a year and a half before I actually left the academic world. And when I left it, I said, you know, it's time number one for me to go do what I've longed to do since I saw John Jimenez, which is be that person on the stage right. changing. Lives. Right. 
right. be that person who's unlocking stuff in people that they don't even realize is there. Be that person who's asking the questions others don't ask to let them raise their hand and say, I need to be, I need help. I need to work through this. So that was a pivotal point for you that, that you've used this metaphor a couple of times now of unlocking mm-hmm. and are opening doors and sound like that was a pivotal point for you. Of course, we have a lot of evidence now that childhood trauma is, you know, can be deeply suppressed in such a way that we don't even know it's there. And a lot of evidence of that, of course, and you're an example of that. But it sounds like this unlocking process, opening new doors, also led you to make some significant decisions in your career, uh, leaving academia, a pretty relatively secure thing, being a college professor, into what you're doing now. So tell a little bit of that story about how that evolved in such a way, because you seem to have shared now that, you, that you're now doing what you said earlier you always longed to do or were meant to do. And of course, that's what I'm really about in my work is helping us to search out what I like to call the promised life, where you really are meant to be. So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, Brad, I think up until that point in my life, I had been doing one thing, which was chasing external validation. And I think a lot of people do that, you know, because I felt like if every it was it's that kind of thing. It's the imposter syndrome, however you want to label it. I felt I wasn't good enough, even when I wasn't aware of what had happened. I felt this drive to be recognized and acknowledged and celebrated, you know, so I did a lot of chasing, you know, rewards, accolades and things like that. And I did a lot of trying to chase validation through other things. Mm -hmm. When this all popped up and I realized, okay, I can't keep doing this. Um, At that time, I weighed almost 275 pounds and my body's not wired for that. I was working 16 hour days, seven days a week. And I realized this is not validating me and, and helping me. So I left that world. I, mean, I was at the time where in that academic world you could take a sabbatical. So I did okay. and left. All right. And I said, I'm going to go to full-time speaking, coaching, consulting, because I believe that's my gift and that's what I'm here for and that's what I want to do. Now, the truth is I sort of slipped back into that chasing the reward more now through financial, mm-hmm. you know, in okay. terms of what – what kind of gross sales can I do? <laughs> you know, yeah. now, and at the same time, I don't want, I don't want to mislead your audience and I don't want to lie. I mean, the truth is I was having impact. I mean, I was very successfully having impact with my clients, but I kind of got hung up on that drive. It's got to be more, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be this, it's got to be this. And, uh, accidentally fell into a niche that I built a niche business for 16 years, serving a specific industry, doing strategy, leadership, and culture work. Loved it, had some fantastic clients, but then one day I had another one of those pivot moments. And I, I, I share that that way, Brad, because I'm, I'm hoping to wake your audience up to the fact there are pivot moments in our lives that we need to recognize. Yes, and you need to do something about it. A lot of people don't recognize those, and they let slide by for the safety and supposed security of where they're at, but they end up being, I like to call the malaise of mediocrity or the malaise of misery. You stay stuck there, and yeah. many people and sometimes myself included, have chosen to stay stuck there rather than taking the risk to move forward. So keep, keep going now, my friend. Keep going. It's, it's, it's kind of like that parable or story about, you know, the guy hanging on the side of the mountain and God says, I've sent you three different things, you know, you just keep ignoring them. Right. Uh, I don't know that one well enough to tell it right now. But, well, it sounds, um, it sounds like an old preacher story that I've told many times, him, but, uh, but go, go ahead. But, but the signs are there, right? And, and so – Here's where the sign happened for me. And, I, and I, I'll give a shout out to the guy because I love his work, Michael Bungay Stanier. Um, Michael was doing a keynote, and I had been hired as one of three people who were going to take the people who were in the audience into separate rooms and coach them on how to apply what he had just taught. 
And this was when his book, um, Do More Great Work, had just come out. Okay. So I'm sitting at a table, Brad, with six CEOs who are going to be in a room with another 75 people with me after this session where I'm supposed to coach them. So I'm like, okay, I got to play along and play fair and, you know, be, be all in. First thing he did was that there's a piece of paper on the table. Everybody take one. And it just had a circle with a dot in the middle. He said, in a minute, I'm going to give you three definitions. I'm going to ask you to draw a pie chart of how they relate to you. So get a pencil out, get ready. Let's go. He said, good work is this. It's your job description. You're good at it. You enjoy doing it. And if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. We all have to do some good work. Bad work is abbreviated wombat because this is a waste of money, bandwidth, and time. Okay. I've not heard that one before. I like that. And abbreviated and, wombat. I'll have to remember that one. I, and, might, and have to, said, I might have to get that book. So, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good little book. Yeah. Um, and great work is the work you're here to do. Right. It's the life-changing strategic stuff that you really are supposed to be doing. So I want you to draw a chart on this pie chart, percentages for those. So in my, uh, I'm compelled to be completely honest about with myself as well as with the people at the table. I labeled 65% of my work, bad work. Oh my goodness. And I labeled 5% good work. And I said, okay, you're 14 years into running this niche business. You've done some good work along the way. But at this moment in time, you're saying 65% of your work is bad work. Why is that? That's a pretty brutal self-assessment, isn't it? My goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's a smack in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Self-induced. Sure. Uh, and so I went in the room with the people and I listened to what they said. I guided them and helped them. And then I kind of just went to my hotel room and I said, okay, I got to figure this out. And I was flying out that, that later that day. So on the plane on the ride home, I made a list of my clients in three columns. Great work, good work, bad work. Okay, I'm assuming some of that process you had a much longer list in some categories than others. Definitely in the bad work. <laughs> All right. Okay. Because I only had five percent, right? And I mean yeah. there were there were three clients in the good work column. Okay. There were I don't even remember the number in the bad work. I, I think there were eight or ten I had in the good work and the three in the great. And I made a decision at that moment um, that I'm gonna fire those clients that I'm not going to do that work anymore. Now, I did some other analysis. What is it about these clients? What is the problem? And I realized what the problems were. They were pretty clear. I wasn't leveraging my gifts. Okay. I wasn't helping them communicate more effectively to implement the strategies we were defining for them. I wasn't doing what I do best, which is challenge people to think differently. And I was finding myself frustrated and coming home a lot of times from the planning sessions I'd facilitate and just shaking my head like that was a waste of my time and theirs. And you come home for those, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm reading into this, you also come home with those drained and depleted oh, instead of energized and, and, and invigorated about and looking forward to what's next. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I sort of had to also realize I hadn't been listening to my wife who was saying, why do you keep coming home frustrated from these things? Mm, okay. Awesome. And so, you know, I, I made the joyful announcement on a Monday morning, Brad, to my wife that I'm firing 65% of our clients today. Which of course comes with it with the uh, with the uh, with the consequences of whatever the revenue was and other things with that, doesn't it? So okay, seventy seventy percent of the revenue came from those clients for that year. Yeah, well, and I and I said, and by the way, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to double the business next year. This happened in November, by the way. Okay, I'm going to double the business next year, and I'm going to sell it. 
because I am not doing what I was put here to do. Okay, so you made a strategic plan then, not just to kind of just jump off the cliff with it, but to take a process, a strategic plan, as it were. And that's sounds like that's how you're wired up to uh, to make a <laughs> make a plan and follow it. Although it certainly had some, you know, a really bold, you know, movement for you, wasn't it? Just a dramatic. Oh, it was, it was risky. It was risky, right? Because and in you know, what here's what firing meant, right? I was doing strategic planning for most of these people, mm-hmm. and that meant every year they had a planning session. Okay. And so it was very typical for me to work with a client for five five to seven years. So what I was basically doing was saying, by the way, I'm not available next year. I see. And, and, and the way I did that simply was to call the clients and say, just wanted to check on what you were thinking about for next year. Um, I'm going to be doing fewer planning sessions next year, and I want to help you find the right person because I'm not going to be available okay. to so work there, with you. So there was a process. It wasn't quite abrupt, but uh, still you'd made a decision. And what I'm getting at yeah. here with you, Michael, is – You've mentioned here already a couple of times about some pretty bold decisions that you made, you know, bold decision to go get therapy, the bold decision to uh, move out of academia and to some, a consulting business and the, the decision of the consulting business to, uh, you know, fire your clients and to define and refine your consulting business. Uh, what are some of the uh, factors or what are what goes into making these bold decisions and what's the implications of those? Oh, fantastic question, Brad. And, you know, I, I, I know it differs to some degree for everybody, but, you know, the first factor to me was really the personal satisfaction okay. and the am I doing what I'm best at doing? You know, if we go to Clifton's Strengths Finders thing, right. you know, I have four strategies that are four um, strengths that are strategic and the other one is persuasion. Okay. And when I'm having that plane ride and I'm looking at those great work clients what hits me in the face is the ones I love that are the best clients where I'm doing great work are the ones where I'm leveraging my gifts of helping them think strategically, identify where to go, and then showing them how to persuade the people they need to help them make it happen, get involved. And I looked back and said, okay, what was happening in my academic time? Well, when you're an, when you go in as an, as an academician and you know, you're an assistant professor what I discovered very quickly was if you can create the vision and you talk about it enough, you'll find the support you need to speak it into existence. And that's what I had done in both those cases. It's like, okay, this is what I do best. This is what I love. This is where I feel excited, where I don't come home frustrated. What can I do to do this all the time? Sure. So I went to Michael Hyatt's platform conference literally the week after this epiphany from okay. Michael Stanier. Which is another, I, bold, another bold action you took by going to the a conference. Well, and, and, and Brad, I got to tell you a backstory on a conference, which is I have never been sicker in my life than when I went to that conference. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I got there and I had this intestinal virus thing hit me. And I literally was between sessions. I would go back to my room and lay down and deal with other things. Um, ate room service the entire time, talked to no one, just went in, sat in the room and absorbed. Yeah. And then a man named Ken Davis walked on the stage. Oh, I, I know him. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure you do. And, and, and Ken walked on the stage and, you know, Ken's a, you know, he's a lifelong communicator. You know, he's a great humorist. He's fantastic right. speaker. And I sat there and I listened to Ken and I thought, you know, Michael, you're hiding from what happened to you has led you to hide 
from what you do because you don't think it's good enough. I had never called myself a communication expert or communication specialist. I didn't think it was good enough, right? I'm a business guy, strategist. And I walked out of the room, picked up my, pulled my cell phone out, called my wife. She answered the phone and I was silent for a little, for a rather long time. And I've just kind of pulling myself together. I said, just hang with me out. I want to tell you something. And literally with tears rolling down my face, I said, um, I now know what I'm supposed to do. And I, and I now know that it can be done because I've just seen an example. So to your question that started me down this particular path, I think looking for the examples of people who are doing those things is one of the things I've always used to give me strength to say, I'm going to make the bold decision and do this. Awesome. Well, that leads me kind of to go to this a little step deeper with you here. Now you said, you see the example of, uh, of Davis and Hyatt and the conferences and things that you went to led you to go deeper and draw on that power. So tell me a little bit about how this becomes more than just a career change, how this was transformative. You said tears were rolling down your face. This is transformative in your soul, in your Mm -hmm. inner place. So what kind of power did you draw on? What kind of almost spiritual transformative things happened to you here? And did you draw on any any, uh, resources from uh, outside yourself? speakers or others or anything, anything of a spiritual nature. Well, and, and, and I think the whole journey was entirely spiritual. And I think it was, you know, for some, they would say it's just the universe working the way the universe does. To me, it was entirely spiritual. Okay. You know, the people that crossed my path. So, you know, I, I have that happen in November. I see Ken Davis and I now know, okay, he plays a role. So one of the, I ended up going to his score conference, paying the fee to work in the small group that worked directly with him so I could learn from him. Um, the following February. So now we're in 2015. This is the year I'm going to double the business so I can sell it. Okay. Um, the initial year, beginning of the year revenue is not there because I fired 65% of the business. And no, I'm you're, you're not only trying to double, you're going from a, a deficit, at least from where you were, to uh, <laughs> so it's almost more than double. And, and, isn't and, it? and Brad, I'm doing a lot of praying. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Along with a lot of hoping and a lot of searching. Sure. Um, and I'm literally sitting in February. It's, it's a rainy, dreary day. My wife and I are both in our chairs in the living room with our laptops in our laps working away. And I stopped and I just sort of looked at the sky a little bit. And I said to her, I said, I just wish somebody could tell me how to do this and help me shorten the path. Mm, okay. Now, seven years earlier, I had met a gentleman named Ray Edwards. And I don't know if you know Ray. Ray is a copywriter, very yeah. faith-based guy, former radio guy. I've, uh, I've been to his conferences and I've interviewed him as well. Yes. Okay. So there's an email in my inbox from after I say this to my wife, I said, I just wish I could go somewhere for three days and get this stuff figured out. I hit refresh on my email and the first email is from Ray Edwards, who I met seven years earlier. He sat next to me at a luncheon where he was speaking. It was the only seat left in the room when he came in the room. We had minor casual conversation but when he got up and left i sat there and thought okay you know what he's about the fifth or sixth person i've encountered in my life that i don't know where but they make an impact in my life somewhere down the road okay so i had been on his list been paying attention to him had never interacted with him i, I was the jerk that would occasionally point out a typo here and there because oh my gave, goodness okay <laughs> um, i know i know, it, it was, 
I know he doesn't go for that stuff. So. <laughs> well, but it was interesting. It was because of something he had said at, at lunch that day. It was a callback to that the connection. Two or three years later, I saw this like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a way I can at least touch base with him because I remember the story he told me sitting there at lunch. Anyway, this email sounded like he was in the room with me listening to what I had just complained about. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. And he was offering a three-day workshop. Come to Spokane, Washington. We spend three days together with eight other, eight, nine other people, ten of us in the room, and we'll get things figured out. It's called the Escape Velocity Workshop. So I went. I did, in fact, come back with a lot figured out. And on the plane ride home, I suddenly realized what the real differentiator was between the great work clients and the rest of them. And I wrote a description of who they were and what they looked like. I didn't put names with it, but I just wrote it. And literally within the next 90 days, enough of them showed up to double the business revenue for the year and allow me to actually work less than I had been, which was part of my goal because <laughs> right. sure. I was traveling a lot. Sure. And, um, you know, and, and then what happened is I found the buyer for the business and, you know, I, I sold him a strategic planning, planning package for his organization along with the purchase of the business, which he has now been able to take his business four or five times where it was by acquiring that I held on to my five great work clients okay, good. who were various stages of five year processes, which, which gave me a runway that came to, foundational to your next step, right? Yes. Okay. Which gave me the runway and allowed me to start Brad testing because I think this is another part of your question about how do you make the big jump? Mm -hmm. It was making a conscious decision. I'm going to start putting the stuff that I want to do that I believe is my own intellectual property, the lessons from my journey into my work okay, and see how that flies because I, it, it related to strategy. It related to vision. It related to persuasion. It related to culture. So I started doing that. And I think, you know, that obviously empowered me because it landed well and it further clarified who I was here to serve. And, and, and here's where the real pivot then came, which is, it's more individuals than it is organizations. Okay, excellent. And I love to go there because that's you, you can't change an organization. Uh, you can't have transformational uh, organizational uh, uh, outcomes without transformational leaders who are transformed yeah. themselves. And yeah. that kind of goes to another level of my questions to you, Michael. And that has to do with the emotional aspect of all this here. And you mentioned your wife, you mentioned some friends, some people who emotionally impacted you. So what, what is the power, the fuel of the emotion here of either serving a greater good or maybe serving your wife or your family or the love of others in your life? Tell me about how the emotions come into play here, uh, whether it's love or something else that, that drive or fuel your changes here. Well, the, you know, it is, I'm an, I'm a very emotional person, first of all. So, you know, er, emotion is in everything. And as this all begins to happen and I start getting clear on this, I realize that we suppress the emotion too much, hmm. that we don't allow ourselves to feel it sometimes far enough for us to work through it. And, you know, it was through this period where I realized that. And I said, you know what, I've got to start sharing deeper, more vulnerable, personal yes. things, to open up the emotional path. So. Not, not to be purely chronological, but it helps me, helps me track this. Sure, I understand. It's probably 2017, in November of 2017, maybe 16. And 16, actually. And I'm doing an all-staff for a client. 
and I realized, okay, I'm talking to them about story. Now, for me, the power of story became apparent because of very emotional stuff that happened in my life. I keep seeing people who are holding back when I'm in rooms facilitating conversations. I keep hearing from people who are struggling with figuring out, well, who am I here to serve? What's my message? How am I going to connect it? All those kinds of things. Yeah. I said, I need to stop hiding my story. So I walked in front of 150 people that day and for the first time ever shared what I shared at the beginning of our conversation okay. today. And in the context of serving them to realize that there are things that legitimately get in our way when it comes to communicating effectively, that I know there are reasons why some of you don't feel comfortable telling stories or speaking up. So the session ends, they all go to lunch. There are seven people standing in the room, come up and talk to me. And there's one who stands over in the corner. Now I've been working with this particular organization for about seven years at this time. And I know this person who's standing in the corner very well. We've been in rooms a lot together in the past seven years. And I can tell she is very troubled at that moment. So after the last of the seven people leaves and goes to the lunch line, she comes over to me, puts her arms around me, Brad. And I, I think there's a phrase in a movie somewhere I laughed that hard one time, which is called she squeezed the stuffing out of me. Oh, okay. Actually, yeah. I think that's in a MASH episode. <laughs> yeah. And started crying. I, I mean, sobbing on my shoulder. And when she finally calmed down a bit, I sort of stepped back and I said, what's going on? She said, well, you know how I don't speak up in the planning sessions very much and I don't, but, but at the same time, by the way, right, those people don't speak up there, but they talk to you on the way to dinner okay. or they sit right. next to you and tell you. And I said, yeah, I noticed. She says, it's because what you just told on stage of your story is exactly my story. Yeah. And now that, let's fast forward. That breakthrough forward, wouldn't right? have happened unless you were vulnerable yourself. Absolutely. And, and let's go to where the real breakthrough was amazing, right? Nine months later, I'm back doing a planning session with them again. And guess who's talking? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There she we was. Finished, huh? Breakthrough we finished, for her. Yeah, we finished the second day and she comes up and says, I just need to thank you. I said, for what? She said, well, because of your telling that story last November, I took a six month leave of absence and I finally went and dealt with what happened to me. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And so that cemented for me that you have to touch the emotions of the people and you have to allow yourself to share the vulnerableness to do that or your journey doesn't pay off. Sure. And you know, that shows, shows the power of your story as well and how that impacts others. And then they share their story with others to impact and it, it yes. perpetuates itself. You were saying something about Mike Kim there. I was just going to say, our friend Mike Kim said to me one day, he said, you know, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to help other people understand that all that shit you went through taught you something and it mattered. Yes. Yes. Pardon the language, but that's exactly how oh, Mike absolutely. said it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And that is what we go through. That's what adversity is. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's it's, you know, what the way I like to define it, we all deal with some form of adversity. You know, it could be a death in the family. It could be a diagnosis of cancer or disease or something. Depression is a big one. A debt, crushing debt or financial issues, um, divorce. You know, all mm -hmm. those things come into play. I call it the five D's. But yep. they all admit are ways that we deal with the crap of our lives and how we get through it in order to break through to get to something else. And so that, that, that's awesome. And she she was probably the pivotal instant, incident for me, Brad, where I said, you know what? These things matter. And they matter not just to us. Because I guarantee the struggles you've had in your life open doors for you to teach other people things in the sure. work you've done. 
Well, it gives you credibility. It gives you imp- the empathy, the emotional piece comes into play there. And that's, that's what, you know, gives you the, the, the gravitas with, with other yeah. people. And that, that comes into play. And, well, Michael, I just want to get a couple other things from you, then I'm going to yeah. let you go. And we've talked about a lot of things you know, about, uh, you know, kind of the spiritual and the emotional and the uh, the uh, actions that you took. And yet there's also got to be, you know, you've talked about, you know, your organization and your your framework a little bit. I'd just like to know two or three things you do about discipline, about how you actually, you know, implement all this you're talking yep. about, either personal discipline or things that you teach or frameworks of what you do. Could you speak to that for a minute? Sure, and I appreciate the question. It, um, you know, I think the thing that drives my whole approach to discipline these days, and I've got to give credit to Jeff Walker because this is where I learned this, in his product launch formula live event three or four years ago, he shared the idea that 100% is easy and 99% is hard. Mm. And let that sink in for a minute. You know, that if you commit 100%, it's a lot easier because you know what to say no to. But if you don't fully commit, you don't really know what to say no to. And even if you think you're fully committed, but you're not fully committed. And he gave this, he told the story of him and dark chocolate. He said, I love dark chocolate. He said, I would eat it day and night. He said, but if I decide to give it up, it's very easy not to eat it. But if I eat a piece, I want another piece. He said, think about that in your business. Think about that in your life. And I realized I was still 99% in. Yeah. I had ridden the weight loss roller coaster for years because the other thing I turned to besides story when I was 10 years old was sugar. Yeah. Right on the same corner where that bookmobile came that I got my books was a little old railroad station stop that was one of those old timey stores that, you know, you could buy everything in there from hip boots to sliced cheese to sodas, you know, to sweatshirts. Yeah. Lots of candy. <laughs> candy and, and goodies I, was a part of your life and, experience. And I, self, kind of a self-medicating yes. thing as well. Goes on the and, and, and Brad, I love you saying it that way because I hadn't acknowledged that. Yeah. But so, you know, you, you get to this whole concept, what happened, and fundamentally the discipline thing was okay. And I said this. I, I, I said this talking to my counselor one day. I said, I always feel like because I keep losing the weight loss battle that I can't win at anything. Hmm. And then I had the epiphany last July 2nd, just over a year from when we're recording this. Right. I had gone through a fantastic program called Heroic Public Speaking Graduate School run by Michael and Amy Port. And they also came into my lives at the right time because after I told that story for the client, I was concerned about managing my emotions telling that story. So I went to an event they had where I was coached on stage by them on how to deal with that. And when I finished that program, we recorded a demo video. And I had unlocked what this story really meant to me, Brad, in this journey. It was, it's a 16-week sure. program over four months. So you're a 16-day program over four months. So you're pretty deep. And I got the demo video back on July 2nd. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? That's not me. I have told people for years who are really close to me that I just want to find me again. Hmm. And I had made a decision in December 2017 I was going to finally kick the weight loss problem in 2018, but it was July 2nd when I saw that video and said, you're not even making progress on this. Mm. You're six months into the year, and that was the day I decided to think about Jeff Walker and go 100%. 100%. So I took sugar sugar out of my diet, broke the addiction, and a year later, I'm 65 pounds less than I was then, 
I feel better. And, and, and it's much more than the weight loss, Brad. It wasn't about the weight loss. I don't want your audience to mis- misconstrue sure. what I'm saying. Oh, well, weight loss is just an indicator. It's not an emotional turmoil that you have. I, several years ago, I lost 100 pounds, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, it's a much more a head thing, an emotional thing than the body thing. So. Yeah, and about six months after that, I walked in the bathroom one day. And in our house, you walk towards a mirror, and then you go left to go in the, in the closet. I turned left to go in the closet, and I jumped back. I mean, I literally jumped back. I'm like, wait a minute. There you are. There's the guy you were before what happened to you when you were 10 happened to you. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, that was the emotional unlocking. Not surprisingly, tears came at that moment. Sure. (laughs) I tell the story now without the tears because I've worked past it. But so I I think the whole point to your question, if I can kind of button it up, up a little bit, is that let the emotion take you where it takes you. I leaned on my wife heavily for that. I went through another counseling process to help me with that because I'm a talk through it kind of person. And sometimes you've got to talk through it with somebody who has no vested interest in the process. And you're talking about even specific as weight loss. You had to do that process with a counselor. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So that talks about a tool there that you use. So. And, and, well, I, and Brad, I'm, I'm a devote, you know, I'm a voracious reader. That's why we started talking about books sure, to begin. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I, I look to a lot of people like that to teach me things. And I, and I think I'm a person who believes you have to take bits and pieces from lots of places as opposed to just one. I know there are other people that need to pick just one. Mm-hmm. So part of that emotional journey is pick the one that works. Brene Brown's video, when I first saw it on vulnerability, certainly pivoted my, my thinking, you know, her TED talk. You know, then reading her work was another step. So I, I reach out to lots of places to address that point of how you yeah. deal with the emotional. And I give myself permission. I do a, I do a massive amount of journaling too, Brad. Sure. I, I, I figure more stuff out in these pages. <laughs> well, that helps you process. It sounds to me like, Michael, you process in several ways. One of them is your work. And one of them is your whole messaging thing here about clarifying your message in order to get your message through to others. And you've done the work on it yourself, mostly in order to help teach others. And the journaling and the processing, the weight loss are all a part of that. And that's part of the life transformation process, which is awesome. And that's why I want you to have on the podcast today to help us learn from you and to teach others. And and you do have ways that you do teach others. So what are you leaning into these days, Michael? What are you up to these days? And if people want to learn more about you and what you're about, how can they do that? Thank you, Brad. I appreciate the opportunity to share that and appreciate what you just shared. It um, puts a good cap on it. My, my, my work right now is heavily focused on coaching and one-on-one coaching for people who want to unlock their message. Now, most of the people I work with are people who are at some sort of a transition point because as you've just heard in my story, I've transitioned four or five times in pretty significant ways. And, and I, I think that's helping attract those people to me. Um, so right now, for example, I have a new 90 day coaching program I've just rolled out, you know, and it's helping people unlock what's that message. How do I get it out? Who's the audience? Um, and, and my premise there is really basic. It's attract the right clients and repel the wrong ones because the bad clients were the wrong clients. And so, um, if you're comfortable, I, I can, you know, if you want to get us, I've got a video series that talks about that particular thing that you can get at michaelhudson.com slash attract just A-T-T-R-A-C-T. Awesome. awesome. We'll put that in our show uh, notes as well. The other thing I'm doing is, you know, speaking at conferences and conventions where I can, where those kinds of people are in the audience. Um, and 
I'm working on a number of little courses that help reveal some of the lessons I've learned from 35 years as a full-time speaker, coach, and consultant for 25 of it, 10 part-time for the first 10, uh, to help people shorten the learning curve, avoid pitfalls, overcome the obstacles. So that's, that's, and you can reach me anytime at Michael, michaelhudson.com. The, uh, always happy to, happy to have an email sent to me. Um, if you've got a question, happy to answer and connect with you. But what I help do is people unlock, you know, what is it they're here to do? What is that journey you've traveled taught you? What has it equipped you to do that only you can do? And if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Yeah, awesome. Because I'm tired of seeing people sit struggling. Hmm. I'm tired of seeing people not understand that there was a lesson in that that you have to learn. Yeah, and the lesson you learned, you're now passionate about sharing that lesson in order to help affect life transformation for others to pivot and move on to what they're really called to be about and what they're called to do. And so love your message, love your work, uh, Michael, and we will look for great things to come from you down the road here. So uh, I'll do, I'll do my best to fulfill that, Brad. <laughs> well, th thanks for being here with us today. And our guest today on the pathway to promise, uh, Michael Hudson from michaelhudson.com, all about helping you find your message to find fulfillment in your life. Really appreciate Michael Hudson from MichaelHudson.com being with us on the Pathway to Promise today with Dr. Brad Miller. He is all about unlocking your message. I hope that you heard that here today. And that's what we're about here at the Pathway to Promise podcast as well. I just want to give you a couple of takeaways from our uh, conversation together that I think is going to be helpful to you. He talked about how he had to process his really adverse childhood experiences about you know, being sexually molested and so on, in order to be able to process with that, in order to move through that, in order to be the person he was meant to be, he was called to be. And he has a belief that many of us have these type of things as well, because he felt his calling was to be a public speaker, but he had the, but he was held back by somewhat by the childhood experiences, by other fears that he had. And when he was inspired by hearing some other public speakers, in particular a reformed drug addict named John Jimenez, who spoke and spoken to his life at an early age, he took that inspiration and he helped to help it form in his life and where he was able to leverage that story other person, another person had, in order to help to find his story. He had to find self-transformation out of processing his story in order to share it with others in order to be that person that he was meant to be on stage. Eventually, it led for him to leave in the academic world and start his own business of consulting and so on, and to move away from what he called the self-validation or the external validation of accolades and things like that in order to have internal uh, validation for what he was about. And uh, you need those pivot points. When you have those pivot points in life, that you have to use them in order to move past these things that block you. He talked about the power of good doing great work, how he felt in his life. There was three levels of work. There was poor work, good work, and great work. And he felt like too much of what he was involved with and what many of us are involved with was poor work or so-so or good work. And he wanted to have more great work. And for him, that meant jettisoning about 70% of his clients that he had and reformulating, recalibrating his entire business model in order to gain the personal satisfaction that comes with taking the bold decisions to do that and leveraging the gifts that God has given, given him well. That involves a spiritual element of his prayer life. 
and about finding mentors in his life. He talked about some of the some of the events he went to and some of the mentors in his life, Ken Davis, Ray Edwards, among others, workshops that he went to in order to shorten the learning curve in order to make these transitions. And he talked about the power of emotions, about sharing deeply these deep emotional stories, which are personally self-transformative, which then helps us to clarify our message to be transformative to others. The power of story is so important to what Michael teaches. So we got to stop suppressing and hiding our personal stories, but to use our stories to be impactful in our business, in our life, in our successful life. He talked about how among the things that happened in his life, his sharing of his personal story was impactful in a business setting of a woman who also had some issues with some some uh, childhood trauma that she dealt with. And helping her deal with her childhood trauma helped her then to be successful in her business. Sharing your emotions of your journey helps to pay off. And he talks about discipline. Uh, you got to just be all, all in. 100% discipline is easy. 99% is hard. In other words, you got to give yourself totally to what you're about. Great conversation with Michael Hudson today. I commend his website to you, michaelhudson.com. He's got various courses and trainings and things that he can be helpful to you in your life. Go to his site, check out what he has to offer, and we'll put the, some of the things about that in the show notes here on pathwaypromise.com, which is the place that you can go to find out more about me, Dr. Brad Miller, and also about what we're about, which is helping you to overcome adversity in your life to achieve your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We have a free gift for you there at pathwaypromise.com, the four-minute way, the four-minute guide for a successful day. Go there, pick it up. You'll find, think you'll find that is a helpful thing to you. We're always here to be helpful. Check out our back catalog of past episodes of Pathway to Promise. Respond, reflect with us at our website and on our Facebook page, and we will see how we can be helpful to one another to help you find a pathway in your life to come to a place of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Until next time, when we chat again, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. Thanks so much for taking the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. As a subscriber, you'll be a vital part of the Pathway to Promise community. Visit us on the web at pathwaypromise.com. Until next time, remember to stay on your Pathway to Promise.